Today we are in uh, week three of our Stay Gold series. Uh, and if I just say, said Stay Gold and in your head you heard uh, Pony Boy, uh, then, then kudos, right? Like you are probably in that little bit older range. And if you don't know what it is, just, just ask your neighbor, what, what is he talking about? Uh, we've been talking about the golden rule. Uh, and Pastor Steve said it the first week, uh, the chances are that if you're here and you've never been to church before, uh, if you're here and you haven't been to church in quite some time, that there's still a good chance that you have heard uh, of the golden rule. And so I want to throw it on the screens. This is in Luke 6. Uh, as Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. It says, do to others uh, as you would have them do to you. Maybe it was up on your kindergarten wall, uh, and, and uh, you, you kind of learned it in that way, or maybe you went through grade school and you heard it, or maybe you heard it on a television show, uh, that Jesus is teaching us, I think, a principle uh, that Pastor Steve said our first week, that we attract what we are. Uh, that as much as I will tell my wife that I want my daughter to be patient, uh, if I consistently scream patience at her in an impatient way, she's looking at me, my wife is probably like, you dummy. <laughs> like, screaming patience impatiently, then I'm not going to get what I want, that I actually attract what I am. Uh, and I think maybe the reason that we have difficulty with a series like this is because essentially uh, it's a mirror. Uh, that if everybody in my life is impatient, uh, then there's a good chance that the way I treat other people is with impatience. If, if people, uh, if it feels like everybody around me always has all the blessings of the world and God never blesses me, there's a good chance uh, that I haven't learned how to be a blessing to someone else. And so we've been going through this series, kind of wrapping it all up under the, the phrase that we need to learn to be what we want to see, that maybe you've, uh, you've kind of prayed for, for people to be uh, more patient with you. Maybe God is giving you the opportunity uh, to be patient with someone else. Uh, maybe you've always kind of wished that you had a mentor, somebody a little bit further along than you uh, to sort of show you the ropes that I would challenge you that maybe God has brought somebody a little bit younger and a little bit less wise for you to be uh, that same very role in their life. And so I want to talk to you guys today about learning to be faithful. Uh, Steve started off our, our first week with learning to be what we want to see, wrapping up the whole series. This last week was uh, that we needed to learn to be generous. Uh, and I want to talk to you guys today about being faithful. Uh, and I want to talk to you because I believe as humans uh, that we are not naturally uh, faithful people. And, and here's why I believe that. I have an 18-month-old uh, daughter, and so pray for me. Um, but what I've learned is that she didn't like just uh, come into this world and, and was like, man, I want to be a blessing to my dad. I want to be true to my word. I want to be honest. I want to be consistent, right? Like she came into the world, Rah! like anything I want, get it for me immediately or, or I'm going to cause you to go deaf. And so uh, I think as we come into this world, we're not naturally faithful. In fact, my daughter uh, is getting to the point where she's uh, independent now. Uh, she has learned that she can do uh, things outside of mom and dad. She can reach things on the counter now, right? Again, pray for me. And so she's getting into a lot of trouble uh, on an unrelated note. And so we have learned that we need to uh, discipline her. And one of the ways that we discipline her is, is time out, right? And so she'll start throwing a fit. Uh, I will pick her up and I'll say, I mean, you might as well just walk yourself, you know, but <laughs> you're going to time out right now. And so I'll put her in time out, okay? And then when she's sort of uh, coming down off of her, her fit high, so to speak, like she's, you know, she's freaking out and she's kind of subsiding, uh, I'll say, Ellie, are you all done? Now, if you are a parent, you know that's code for, are you all done being a dummy. Don't look at me like that. You have thought the exact same thing, right? Like when they smash their head into the wall and then they cry and wonder how they got hurt, like 
Just, it just doesn't add up. And so I'll ask her, are you all done? Now let me tell you, 100% of the time, she will say yes. She's never like, you know what, Dad, I probably need to think about this a little bit more. Uh, I'm not really ready to go back into that situation that caused me to be in the fit in the first place. Maybe I should think about my actions. She's always like, yes. And it's not even like a, uh, like a well-pronounced yes. It's like she's angry that she has to say it. And so she goes, yeah. I'll be like, are you all done? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll pick her up and, you know, we'll revisit, uh, you know, whatever caused the fit. Chances are it's I didn't let her play with uh, the steak knives. God forbid. I'm a terrible father. I know. And so she'll see them again. Oh, I got to play with those knives. They're shiny. I'm going to play with them right now. She'll start freaking out again. And I'm going, you are a liar. You told me you were all done. Like all done means all done, right? Like she, but the weirdest thing happens. Whenever I tell her I'm going to get a toy for her, or whenever I tell her we're going to go uh, read a book, or I tell her I'm going to get her the, the snack that she wants, it's so crazy because she expects me to be completely honest and trustworthy 100% of the time. It's weird how that works, right? I think that's how we are in our lives, that we'll complain that nobody is consistent and nobody is loyal and nobody is, is honest, but maybe we're the first person to throw somebody else under the bus so that we can move along. And so I want to talk to you because I think we are a generation that is perhaps the most desperate for loyalty and, and consistency and honesty and all the things that I would kind of wrap up underneath uh, faithful. And I want to tell you three things that I believe that if you were to do them for six months, you would find yourself accidentally a faithful person. Uh, that maybe uh, you, you would kind of hear this sermon and go, oh man, I'm going to try to tune him out. I'm going to you know, replay uh, the game from, from Thursday night and Eagles over the Steelers in Jesus' name. We can clap about that. Come on. And so uh, I, would, I would challenge you, pay attention to what we're about to talk about right now because this, this will change your life. I think the first key that we need to learn in order to be faithful uh, is we need to learn to sweat the small stuff. I think maybe we live in, in a culture that convinces us that it's really all about the stage. It's all about your destination. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Uh, it's all about making sure that when you're in front of people that you've, you've kind of got it together, making sure that uh, everything looks good when you're on a grandiose scale, uh, but we don't really care about the details. A couple months back, my wife and I uh, were kicking around the idea of, of, of buying a house. Uh, we live in an apartment right now. We love it, uh, but we also live next to a main road, and it just so happens that every time we put our daughter down for a nap, uh, that somebody who has recently purchased a Harley-Davidson uh, wants to really open her up, right, on this, on this stretch, and then it's, it's just all over, like you have to restart the whole process, and so we've been kicking around the idea of, of looking at houses, and uh, I found a couple online uh, that I really liked. We actually went to go see one, uh, and typically when you look at, you know, pictures of houses online, uh, it's almost always, like, not true to life, like, they'll take, like, a fisheye lens, it's like a selfie, like, they'll get all the lighting right, and, like, you know, the, let's angle it away from the mildew and, like, <laughs> like, get this picture here. But this house was exactly like the pictures. And so I was, like, we rolled in. I was, like, man, this is the house, right? Like, and I care about it for the following reasons. The paint is a cool color and the floor, you know, all the things you can change. The floors are really cool. And so I was, like, I really don't know a ton about construction. And by that, I mean I know almost nothing about construction. And so uh, my, uh, my wife's father, my father-in-law, is, uh, is a contractor. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to have him come out and look at this house with me. And so we're going through, and uh, he's kind of, we're walking the perimeter of the, the, the property, and 
he's looking and saying, you know, technically these windows should have been installed like this. You know, it's okay to do it this way. And listen, if, if you're a contractor in here and you're listening to me and I'm describing it all wrong, I want you just to nod, right? Like, <laughs> yes, Jordan, exactly what you're saying. It totally makes sense. But uh, I'm going to say it the best I remember. He said, you know, you really should have sealed it in this way. It would have prevented water damage. Uh, you should have sort of uh, done this a little bit differently, but it's not that big a deal. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're walking through and I'm thinking, ah, it's not... It's not a huge deal. We can fix that. Uh, you know, he's saying, really, the way that they did uh, this, this tile work should have been done differently. Uh, they should have actually painted all the trim uh, instead of missing, like, 50% of them. Uh, you know, they, they should have done this, this threshold going into the, the main house. They should have done this uh, this certain way. And he's like, you know, they're really relatively all small details uh, until we reach the air conditioning unit. And so what they had thought was clever uh, was to run a window unit 24-7. I had driven by, so I always saw this you know, window unit run, and I thought, oh, somebody lives there. It totally makes sense. They had run it 24-7 so that you walk in, and it feels cool, right? But really, they knew that the air conditioning unit was about 10 years uh, negative about to blow up. Like, it could blow up tomorrow. Like, my father-in-law was like, don't even try to run this thing. Let's just get out of here, right? Like, he would look, he would look at, like, the barcode, and he'd be like, you know, this number lets me know it was, it was put out in this year. It has a shelf life of about 25 years. We're on about year 37, right? Like, all of a sudden, that's a big thing, right? Because I've been told air conditioning units can be pretty pricey. And so we move along. It turns out that this house was, was a money pit. The, the uh, oil tank was not only uh, not full, but it was broken. Uh, the hot water heater uh, w- was broken. There was a tree going underneath the foundation. That was about, I mean, literally, you could not have picked a worse house. My wife's like, yeah, nice, nice going, Jordan. You picked out. It's going to fall apart when we move in. Uh, and my father-in-law looked at me, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of sum it up. But basically, he said, you'll notice in, in a house renovation, that if the small things aren't done right, about 95% of the time, you'll notice the rest of the house is garbage. Uh, like, if, you, if they didn't care to put detail into these small things, I can almost guarantee you they didn't care about the big things. And I want to read a scripture to you. Uh, in Luke 16, it's only 10 chapters uh, after the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus addresses this. I'm going to read it in the NLT just because uh, the wording is going to be really good for us. But it says this, if you are faithful in little things... You will be faithful in large ones. If you are faithful in little things, and I think we want to take almost always the positive aspect of this. Like if I get, you know, I've been faithful in these small things. I'm going to be, I'm going to be faithful in these, these large ones, right? Like God's going to bring blessing on me, Jesus, hallelujah. Like I've been good, but I want us to look at the second half of the verse because it says the opposite is also true. If you are dishonest, or I would say unfaithful in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Can I, can I get real with you guys today? Can, can I preach today? Anybody who has ever cheated on their spouse, they first let it slide with something small. Nobody's going to notice if I look at that girl. Nobody's going to notice if I watch Game of Thrones, right? I watch it for the story. You're a liar. Come on. Nobody's going to notice if I, if I watch this Netflix show and then all of a sudden we, put, we throw our hands in the air like, where did this come from? I have no idea how I got here. Jesus is saying, if you are not faithful in the small things, you will not be faithful in the greater things. Every coworker who's ever defrauded their company always convinced himself that at the small, uh, smallest level that they could, that it was okay. It's not a big deal if I take these office supplies home. It's, nobody's going to notice this extra $10.63 in this expense account. I'm going to just... And we let our faithfulness slide. 
See, I would convince you that our uh, details determine our destiny. That people will say that the devil is in the details. I want to uh, inform you guys today that actually the devil is in getting you to ignore the details. That we convince ourselves as we move along this path that is, that was okay, this is probably okay, we justify ourselves. But I want to make it really clear. Two people will always see everything that you do. The first one is God. See, I don't want to be like an after-school special that's like, God is watching you, right? And like, as soon as you make a mistake, as soon as you turn that corner, he's going to strike you down dead. But I also want to let you know the reality that God does see everything that you do. Uh, But I also want to let you know somebody else sees everything you do. It's you. There's one other person that sees everything that I do, and, and it's me. And so when I learn to be faithful in the small things, it's not just about the person that I'm being faithful to. In fact, it's actually for my soul that I'm teaching myself to care about the small things. Listen, when you go out to eat and you have little kids and they wreck the table like a tornado, right? You can tell me your kids are perfect, but you, again, don't lie in the house of God. Like, (laughs) if you go out to eat with your kids, that table's not gonna look the same. Maybe you're single and you're younger in here and you go out to eat and you're similar to a kid in that way. Like, the table just looks like a mess. I wanna encourage you, clean it up. Clean up that small thing. Guess, nobody's really going to know. The person blessing maybe might notice. Nobody's going to give you an award for it. Chances are nobody's going to post a picture of you on Facebook, right? It's not going to get shared by some celebrity and, you know, passed around. But here's the thing. You're going to notice that you did it. You're going to begin to teach your character that small things count. We can try to convince ourselves otherwise, but the truth is we know this in every area of life. Let's just look at the Olympics. Most of us have probably watched some Olympics uh, over, you know, the past two weeks, and it's kind of coming to a wrap. Michael Phelps could convince himself uh, that the details every single day don't matter, that if I leave uh, practice 10 minutes early, it's not going to matter, that if I cheat on this day with my diet, it's it's not going to matter. If I, you know, if I skip out on this, you know, this practice, I want to go see this show, it's not going to matter. The truth is we will see it in the Olympic Games. There's a commercial with him that was made by Under Armour, and the theme of it is, is rule yourself. And it shows all the little things that he does every day that result in so many gold medals we hardly even can count at this point. It's because he cared about the details. The details determine his destiny, and they will for us as well. The next thing I think we need to learn to do in order to become faithful people is to give weight to our word. And uh, let me just tell you, every time uh, that, that I preach, I get uh, this awesome thing, which is what I call God's hands-on learning process, which means I get to learn where I'm lacking in the very thing that I'm going to talk about. And so uh, I learned about giving weight to my word uh, just a couple weeks ago. Came home from work. Uh, and if you have kids, you know coming home from work is, is uh, an activity, right? Like it's, it's not for the faint of heart. You're trying to get your bags off. You're trying to get your shoes off. If you're lucky, your kids decided you're a jungle gym today, right? And so they're just going to jump on you. Your wife's making dinner because you don't live in a hotel where like room service just comes. Like if you do, congratulations. But like you actually have to make dinner when you become an adult. And so you're trying to help with dinner. Uh, you're trying to make sure that you pay attention to your kids. Maybe you had a really hard day. Uh, and so I'm coming home. Uh, we had worked in Royersford campus that day. And so I was a little bit uh, physically kind of reaching the end of my day. And all I wanted more than anything else uh, in the name of Jesus was just to put my feet up. Uh, like, have you ever been there? Come on. We have all 
been there. And so I was like, you got to make me feel better about myself. And so I sit down and I'm like, man, I need to put my feet up. I need to turn this television on. I need to turn my brain off. Uh, And so we're going through, I'm getting home. We're going through this whole process. We eat dinner. And afterwards, uh, my daughter has learned this uh, clever technique where she gets to balance right in between being cute and getting in trouble. And the way that she does that is if she just outright screams, she knows it's straight to timeout. Like if she does one of those with both fists just like that, she knows you might as well just walk yourself because you're going over to timeout. Uh, but sometimes she'll do like this playful like talk thing and you're like, oh, she's learning how to use her vocal cords. And this is my wife talking. She's learning, she's learning, she's developing. It's just a part of it. And so she has created this clever uh, middle road where she just, I'll call it a dull whine. It peaks and then it drops. And you almost don't even notice it's there until you want to kill someone, right? Like, you're just on the edge. And I, I cut a corner. Rather than actually addressing the issue, I said, Ellie, you want to go play on the slides? Now, what I mean by that is, When I tell her we're going to the slides, it means we're going to the playground. And she could play on the playground if Armageddon was happening on the playground. Like, she will play uh, until the sun goes down and then some. Like, she loves uh, the playground. And so I'll tell her, do you want to go to the slides? And what I know is that if I tell her we're going to the slides, I have just bought myself five to ten minutes of glorious heavenly peace. Because the instant you say slides, it doesn't matter what she's doing. She gets a big goofy grin on her face, right? She goes to tell mom, mom! We're going to the slides, slides, slides. Yeah, 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 yay, right? She'll clap her hands. She goes to get her shoes because she knows she needs her shoes for the slide. She's going to run around. She's excited. She's happy. And I'm like, yes, I've, got, I've gotten away with it. And all of a sudden, I look over, uh, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, my wife, uh, <laughs> is looking at me like this. And I know that look means, okay, you either need to tell your daughter you just bold-faced lied to her, because I have no intention of taking her to slides, so we're all clear. Or you need to take her to the slides. And I think what my wife is trying to communicate is that if you don't give weight to your word, your daughter is never going to give weight to her word. If you don't give honor to the things that you say, what she's going to learn is that words are just what you use to get what you want. That we live in a culture right now that believes that. That as long as the end is what I want then the means don't matter. As long as what I get in the end is what I want, it doesn't matter what I say to get there. And so I want to read you a scripture that talks about this. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, at the end of his uh, book uh, in the New Testament, in in chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Here's what James is getting at. If you find yourself consistently saying, no, 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 I swear I will. No, 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 I promise, I promise I'll be there. That you've already gotten to a point where people can't have faith in what you say. That we cannot be faithful people if we don't do what we say. Let me take this a step further. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, I contemplated at this point in the sermon just putting up the Nike slogan and just like dropping the mic and just walking off, right? Like if you tell someone you're going to do something, it's real simple. I tried to make it complicated and spiritual as much as I could. Just do it. 
if you tell somebody you're going to be there at 8 o'clock, you're there at 7.45. Why? Because you're not going to be there later than 8 o'clock because you gave them your word that you're going to be there at 8 o'clock. When you tell your spouse that you're going to be faithful to them, listen, do it. When you tell your kids that you're going to be, you're going to be playing with them when you get home from work, about to get real up in here. When you tell Jesus that you've given him your life. Sometimes we sing songs like, God, I give you everything. But then at the same time, our hands are in our pockets and they're death gripped to our wallet and our calendar. I give you everything, God. Not these, though. Not these. Everything else. I think if we were people who gave weight to the things that we say, it's going to be a learning process to become a part of your character where you do what you're going to say. In fact, I would say this. If what you say doesn't align with what you do, then you cannot expect others to do what they're going to say either. As we continue this series and we learn to be what we want to see, that you can't ask God and you can't complain when other people don't do what they're going to say in your life if you haven't become a person who gives weight to their words. Last thing is this. I think we need to learn to stay the course. You know what faithful people do? Faithful people keep going. Faithful people don't give up. Faithful people are full of faith that God is going to come through. Listen, I understand in a room like this and in Plymouth meeting and in Limerick and watching online that we have a very diverse group of people that are going through situations that I probably can't even wrap my head around. That you're going through things that are are not easy, but I want to encourage you with this verse, and it's not going to be on the screen. It's in Romans 8.28. We talk about it all the time, but I want to read it directly from the Bible. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here's how you stay the course. You understand that God says in the end, you win. In the end, things are going to work out for good. Why? Well, I love him. I've been called by him. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's going to work out. Two weeks ago, uh, we put together some Ikea furniture uh, in our new Royersford campus. uh, And Dave Haldeman and I were putting together a changing table. And listen, I consider myself to be relatively good at just the Ikea furniture part simply because my apartment is like Ikea exploded. Like, it's $8 for a table, people. Like, how are you not getting this? Like, anyways, so... I'm pretty good at putting together Ikea furniture, but this thing was from like China or like it was from somewhere overseas. And I'll just say the directions were less than clear. And so we're putting this thing together. Everybody else around us is getting all this work done. We're still on this changing table. I'm getting frustrated in my head. And the very first thing that they have you build is the uh, surrounding enclosure for the changing pad. That's not even actually the table. It just gets attached. Like literally, I'm on step like 17 out of 34, and I have this tiny little thing in my hand, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I thought this was the base or like or something, and I'm looking at the, the front of the box, the front of the paper, and I'm like, there is no way that what I have in my hands right now is going to look like that by the time I'm done. Like these people from China, they must have missed a part or a step, like something's missing because this is not gonna turn out like the end. I'm, I'm getting frustrated, but Dave's around, so I'm trying to compose myself. I'm like, it's gonna be fine, man. Everything's gonna work out. It doesn't matter that literally everybody else has left the building and it's just the two of us right now putting this thing together. It's gonna work out, but there comes a point in the middle of my construction where I have to trust the designer. Well, I have to say, no, no, no. There's a good chance if they've sold this many online and it has a five-star rating on Amazon, 
that I'm just the dummy who can't put it together. Like there's a good chance that this is going to work out when I get to the end. Why? Because I trust that the person who designed it knows what they're doing. Do you follow me? That you are probably at a place in your life right now that maybe what feels uh, frustrating, that maybe what you have uh, in your life is not what you want it to be. In fact, it's not even what you feel like God has promised it to be. But you need to trust the designer that you keep going. If I had quit in the middle of that Ikea table, first of all, I would have gotten made fun of when I got back to the office. So that was motivation enough. If I had given up, I would have never seen this glorious changing table that babies all of Aurorasford are going to get changed on, right? In the name of Jesus, that's the Lord's work. Like, I would have never gotten there if I would have given up in the middle. Can I encourage you? You're not going to get where you need to be if you give up before God can continue to move. You keep going. I want to read you this verse in, in Proverbs 28, 20. It says, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. I would word it this way. Somebody who does what they're supposed to do and keeps going is going to be blessed, but the one who cuts corners, the one who gives up, will not go unpunished. Maybe you've been at church for a long time, and you've been serving, and, and you've been doing what you feel like you're supposed to do, and and you've been praying for a family member and they still have not come to church, can I encourage you, keep going. I wasn't even going to tell this story actually, but there's a teammate in Plymouth meeting uh, who has invited uh, guests. She works just down the road from our building. She's invited guests for, uh, it must be 18 months now, and she's uh, consistently and continually uh, been denied. No, I'm not going to church with you. You're weird. There's boards on those windows. I don't know what kind of Kool-Aid you're drinking in there. I'm not good with snakes, right? Because I think we're a cult. And we had some awesome guests uh, visit over the past two weeks. Uh, and I asked around, Who, whose guests are these? H how did they end up at church? They said, it's that teammate who's been inviting their friends every single week for 18 months. You know what happened? She stayed consistent and God came through. I'm going to keep going. Why? Because God tells me it's going to work out. It doesn't feel like it now. I can't see how it's going to happen, but it's going to work out. I want to let you know that we need to become people who see what it's going to be. That we've been talking about learning to be what you want to see, but I did something clever and I swapped the words. We need to learn to be people who see what it's going to be. This is what's going to happen in Royersford as we continue to build that campus after it opens. Let me tell you, when we started Plymouth Meeting, there was Sundays when there was like three people in the auditorium with me. And I remember telling God, God, you better get some people here. But there were key people in our campus that said, no, 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 this is what it's going to look like. This is what God is going to do through it. That's how Journey got started. Steve had a vision, and God, God I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I trust you. Why? Because you said all things are going to work out. I love you, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. God, you better, you better come through, but guess what? I'm, I'm not going to give up. See, the beauty of a sermon like this is that we can talk about faithfulness, and I believe if we were to do those three things for six months, we would find ourselves a faithful person. But I also want to let you know that we don't just become faithful people so that everyone around us is faithful. 
Come on, we don't even preach this sermon so that we can say, I'm going to be generous so that people are always generous around me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be patient, we're going to talk about in two weeks, just so everybody is patient with me. Can I tell you, if you do it just for that, you're not going to do it for very long. You see, the reason that we are faithful is because of what God has done for us. I want us to read this verse in 1 Samuel 12. It says this, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Listen to that. Serve him faithfully. Why? Consider what he has done for you. And maybe you're listening to this sermon and you can't even quite understand or grasp the idea of faithfulness because you don't know the founder of faithfulness. And so I want to explain to you why we would even preach a sermon like that, why we would even show up to a building like this, why we would put in the time to build lights and to put a stage and, uh, and to look nice. And they tell me that rips are in style now. I don't, I'm getting too old. Let me tell you the reason that we would do this. I want to read you this verse in 2 Timothy 2. Paul says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure... We will also reign with him. Listen, somebody in here is feeling like they're dying right now. So somebody in here is enduring. Let these words give you life. Let's read on. It says this. If we disown him, he will also disown us. These words right here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, I do something every single time I preach, and I'm going to do it until you guys get tired of it or until I get tired of it. But what I want us to do is in Plymouth Meeting and in Limerick and here with me live, do me a favor and, and, and just look to your left. Look at your neighbor to your left. Remind your neighbor which way is left. Now go ahead and look to your right. See, here's the good news. You're not in a room full of people that think that they're perfect. Both of the people that you just looked at, they know I'm jacked up. I got issues. We've been faithless. The Bible says that God is a good and a perfect God. And if our sense of justice needs to be uh, satisfied, then we understand that someone who's good and perfect can't be around a, a bunch of people that have consistently for their entire life slandered him, spat on his face, and said they wanted to have nothing to do with him. See, faithfulness is that in the midst of me being faithless, that we still serve a good God. We tell you, faithfulness is that although you wanted to have nothing to do with God in your heart, the Bible says he continued to chase after you. Faithfulness is that although I deserved the destruction and the pain and the frustration of all the sins and the mistakes that I've made, that God had a backup plan. See, faithfulness is that God sent his son Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus lived as fully man and fully God. He lived on this earth for 33 years. The Bible says he lived a perfect life. It does not take long for most of us, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves in this place, to know that we could never live a perfect life. It does not take me long enough to recognize that I've got some issues. But the Bible says that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life for 33 years, and at the end of his 33 years, he accomplished what he was sent there to accomplish. The Bible says that People hated him so much, the religious people, they hated him so much that they conspired to kill him. It says that they convinced people, it says that one of his best friends betrayed him, that he was put in prison, 
that they took him. And the Bible says that they crucified him. What that means is that they took a cross and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet into it. It was the slowest, most painful way that they could think to kill a man. And that he died there for you and me. Faithfulness is although he had all the power in the world, the Bible says that he endured torture and humiliation from the very humans that he was sent to save. It says that the Roman guards, that they blindfolded him and they spat on his face and they said, teacher, prophesy, which one of us spat on you? It says they blindfolded him and they beat him. They said, prophesy, which one of us just hit you? See, faithfulness is that he didn't have to go through that. Faithfulness is that he chose to go through that. Why? Because when he died on the cross, the Bible says that he took the wrath of God. What that means is that you and I, we deserved death and destruction. You and I, we deserved to incur the wrath of God because of all the mistakes that we've made. The Bible says in a moment that when Jesus died on a cross, that he took all of the wrath of God. It says that he was buried in a tomb and in three days he rose from the dead. What was he communicating? Your life is not over. Maybe it feels like your life is over, but your life is not over, that there's hope. Maybe for the first time in a long time as you're sitting here and listening to my words at each of our campuses, maybe it, all of a sudden it feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it feels like, like someone has breathed life back into you. The Bible says that Jesus knocks at the door of our heart. Maybe you feel a sensation right now in your chest. Maybe from the moment you walked in these buildings, you knew something was different. The Bible says that Jesus, he rose from the dead. And here's the promise. That when I breathe my last on this earth, and I'm faced with a good and a perfect God, and I know what I deserve. That God doesn't look at me and see all my mistakes. He doesn't look at me and see all the, the shame that I carry. He doesn't look at me and see my disgrace. The Bible says that he sees Jesus. The Bible says we get to shadow, or hide in the shadow of, of his grace. It says that when he looks at me, he doesn't see me, but he sees a good and a perfect Jesus that sacrificed everything for me. Let me tell you, Friends, that is faithfulness. That while you and I were faithless, he remains faithful. Would you stand with me as we're gathered at all of our campuses? With nobody looking around and nobody moving right now, I just want to tell you that this is, this is a special moment. I told you earlier in the experience, but just this year we've had 370 people that sat in a chair like you, that sat in ordinary rooms like these in Plymouth Meeting and in Limerick and here with me live and maybe you're watching online that we've had ordinary people show up to an ordinary room and sit in ordinary chairs but that a good God showed up and began to do something extraordinary. See, the Bible says that I, if I were to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that I would be saved. It's really simple. That the gift of God is free but that you need to Accept it. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that your life will be changed. Maybe right now you're sitting here and you're thinking about the family patterns that have existed in your family for decades. Abuse and poverty and, and frustration. And maybe right now you start to begin to believe and realize that in a moment that Jesus can not only change your life, but your kid lives, generations to come, your town that in this moment, what we do is we provide an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel. Friends, this is the gospel. That we were faithless, but he's been faithful. Maybe you don't even know how you ended up in these rooms. That God is beginning a work in your life even right now. And so I'm going to ask you to do something in just a moment. 
that's really bold, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three in just a couple moments, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Why? Because I know that the minute that you leave this place, that the enemy of your soul is going to try to convince you that nothing happened. You're the same old person. But I think when you look back and you say, no, no, no. I put my hand in the air. I said, I'm following Jesus. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how hard it is. I need a savior. I also want to tell you this right now. There's going to be thoughts that begin to flood your mind that say, what about the person sitting next to me? What are they going to think? I want to encourage you. And I want to inform you that their opinion of you is not going to matter when you breathe your last. That you're going to be met with a good and a, and a perfect God. And the question is going to be, did you accept the gift that he had for you? And so in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to count to three simply so that you know what I'm asking you to respond. In Plymouth meeting right now with nobody looking around. In Limerick with nobody looking right uh, around at each other right now as our campus pastors are in the front. If you would say today, Pastor, I need to respond to Jesus. I don't necessarily even understand it all, but I know that I'm in need of a Savior. That I'm not perfect. But I need a good and a perfect God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. Without waiting any longer. Ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, I need Jesus today. I see one. I see you there. I see you there. I see you there. I see you over there. Come on, anybody else? Don't let this moment pass you by in Plymouth meeting right now, in Limerick right now. You say, I need Jesus. I want to give just a little bit more time. Maybe right now you're thinking the thoughts are going through your head. I think this is for me. I think this is my moment. Don't let it pass you by. I'm going to wait for our other campus. We have one person who raised their hand in Plymouth meeting. Come on. Come on. In Limerick, we have two people that just raised their hands, stepping from death into life. Come on, church. We're clapping because the Bible says that when you experience this, that all of heaven rejoices. Come on, this is why we came. Let's pray together. God, we're just so thankful. We're thankful for what you're doing in our midst. God, we're thankful that even though we were faithless, that your word says you were faithful. God, that when we weren't enough, that you've always been enough. God, that when we were at our worst, that you were at your best. God, we thank you for what you're doing right now in our hearts. God, I pray that as we move forward and as we leave this place, God, that there would be such confidence in what's happened here. God, we thank you for your love and your grace that makes any of this possible. And we celebrate today for those people who have had their life completely changed, I believe, in a moment. And as three campuses, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Would you celebrate with me?